Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to Lung Cancer Voices. This is part two of our Best of the World Conference on Lung Cancer series. And I hope you listened to part one with my friends and colleagues, Dr. Cheryl Ho and Dr. Jonathan Reese from um, UBC in Vancouver and uh, UC Davis in Sacramento, uh, uh, respectively. In that first podcast, we talked about new lung cancer screening uh, with a study from Taiwan in people without a smoking history, but with a family history. Uh, We talked about an important study called FLORA2 for people with EGFR positive lung cancer who are receiving osimertinib and what the potential benefits of adding chemotherapy to that might be. And then we finished off by talking about a whole new class of drugs that are coming along called antibody drug conjugates. And Dr. Reese very eloquently described you know, how those drugs are designed and how they work and where they kind of are in clinical development. So if you missed the first episode, go back and listen to that. Uh, but now we're gonna, we're gonna switch and we're gonna talk about mesothelioma. We've, we've had uh, the odd podcast about mesothelioma in our series, but not for a while. I think uh, we have to go back to oh, maybe last year where um, we had a podcast. I think Dr. Penny Bradbury might have been um, on the list, but I can't quite remember. Now, at the World Conference on Lung Cancer, there was a really important study looking at the role of surgery in mesothelioma. And Dr. Ho, you're going to talk about that. It was called the MARS-2 study. But to set the scene, could you tell us what the MARS study was and from about a, a decade ago, I guess, and then how we got to where we are? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, it was, and, and I think the MARS-2 study was a really interesting study. We were all waiting to kind of hear what the results were um, just for how it was going to influence practice. And if we go back and we think about the MARS study, so the one that kind of started it all, that study was, again, asking the question of, what is the role of surgery for resectable mesothelioma? But the difference between the two studies is the type of surgery. So in the MARS study, the type of surgery was what we call an extra pleural pneumonectomy. So as as, uh, you know, the pleura is the lining that surrounds the lung itself and then the lining that is actually on the chest wall. And mesothelioma develops usually due to chronic uh, asbestos exposure, resulting in a cancer of that lining area. So in the original Mars study, the surgical approach was to remove that lining as well as remove the lung with it as um, at the same time. And, and that study had uh, actually about 50 patients that were kind of enrolled in it and suggested that the patients who actually had the surgery had uh, inferior outcomes as opposed to the patients that did not undergo that surgery. So that was kind of a signal 
uh, of concern around the surgical approach. And then there was a subsequent study uh, that Dr. Rush, who's a very famous thoracic surgeon, kind of looked at some populations to figure out, okay, in in sort of regular practice, what does this look like? What is the signal uh, that we're getting? And also kind of raise that concern. So the, the next step was then, well, maybe we should use a different surgical approach. And that's kind of what Mars 2 is about. So, so in before, that- Before we get on to Mars 2, Mars, we should say that was a study led in the UK by those, those pesky British doctors. They're, uh, they, I know they can be very irritating. Um, you have to forgive them because they, they all have uh, good hearts and well-meaning. But uh, Cheryl, that was really controversial, uh, that study, when it came out, because ultimately it didn't really answer the question, did it? They were trying to enroll a lot more people to the study and they only ended up having 50 people. So it didn't really answer the question. It just suggested that that big operation wasn't, wasn't helpful. Is that before you answer that, maybe we'll get grab Jonathan in because he's our other guest on the podcast. Jonathan, do you see much mesothelioma in uh, Northern California? We see some, but at UC Davis, we're not a high volume center. You're not um, a high volume center. But we okay. do see some. And this EPP operation, this extra pleural pneumonectomy, is that something that is, to your knowledge, is still uh, still used or did it really kind of lose traction after the, the Mars study or the controversy around the Mars study? I have not seen one in, in some time, at least several years, but but folks would go to kind of these centers that specialized okay. in, in EPPs. We we would not do them here at UC Davis. Um, and you know, that was actually one of the one of the controversies was was there was a question about the in the Mars study, was this was the surgery happening in, in centers of excellence and if it had been restricted to one or two centers of excellence would would the results have been different and the authors of that study said no they're all good surgeons thank you very much don't put a stain on our reputations but but you know it was a it was a criticism that was was leveled at, at that study um, yeah I, I mean there were there were several critiques of the study there was that although the author did say that there were high volume centers that at least for, you know, in the UK that did the procedures. Yeah. Yeah. I think they mentioned a lack of PET CT, routine mediastinal staging. Oh, so there was, in the original, yeah, in the original um, you know, th there was a couple of critiques there, including sarcomatoid and biphasic histologies. Yeah. But I, I, I think based on the overall outcome of this randomized clinical trial, well, we're, and we're still talking about the first Mars at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead of okay, myself. You're jumping ahead. So, Cheryl, back, back It's like to a you. spoiler alert, Jonathan. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. You can cut that out. You can cut that out. No, no. That's good. That will keep people listening. As they what was he talking about? So, okay. So, Mars, uh, this EPP, it's huge surgery. It's huge operation. Uh, all of the lining of the lung, the lung itself, the diaphragm pericardium, the lining of the heart. It comes as a package deal with chemotherapy before and radiotherapy afterwards. It's a massive, it's a massive thing to go through. And, you know, the suggestion was it, it didn't work. So the surgeons have then designed Mars 2 to be something much more tolerable, but still looking to see if surgery could control mesothelioma. So maybe Cheryl, I've uh, teed that up for you. You could maybe take us through the details and, and what happened. 
again, those pesky Brits again did this study. So, and, and you're absolutely right. This, the biggest change to this protocol was actually the surgery because patients, you know, before they were allowed to go on the trial had to have resectable cancer. Then they got a couple cycles of chemotherapy. Then they got another CT scan just to confirm they were still resectable. And then they got um, randomized. And so the randomization was to what they call an extended pleurectomy decortication. So we talked before about the surgery in the initial, original study, which was removing all of that lining, both on the chest wall uh, and then removing the lung as well. And then Paul, you mentioned kind of the lining that was around the heart and on the diaphragm. And so this surgery for MARS-2 with the extended pleurectomy decortication was removing all that lining off the chest wall, around the lung, the diaphragm, um, so the muscle sort of separating the chest cavity from the abdominal cavity, as well as the lining around the heart. So that's kind of a different surgery, but you still had your lung. So there was, they, the, the difference is just, you know, well, not just, but then the original study that was done a decade ago, the lung was also removed. And in this study, the lung is spared. So people hopefully would have better pulmonary function. And then after that, they got uh, further chemotherapy up to four cycles of um, platinum, pemetrexid. And so unlike MARS-2, which had about 50 patients, this one had over 300 patients that were actually randomized. And, and as you pointed out, they were meant to predominantly be at centers of excellence in the UK because of that whole question of surgical expertise and, and how that could impact outcomes. And in fact, this was actually presented by a thoracic surgeon, uh, Dr. Eric Lim. And I can't remember his exact words, but something to the effect that it pained him to share the results because as a thoracic surgeon, actually it suggested that surgery could potentially be detrimental as opposed to beneficial uh, when they looked at the final results from this, this study. Yeah. So as a thoracic surgeon, it was a bit like a turkey voting for Christmas. Huh? For their own work volume, they're, they're taking away something that they should be doing, which I, I thought was really, really brave study to take on. I remember when I was a medical student in Manchester in, uh, in England, uh, I knew very early on I, I wasn't going to be a surgeon myself, but I, I remember working for a surgeon. His name was Mr. Hill. So in England, uh, surgeons, when they become uh, board certified surgeons, they, they go back from being doctor to being Mr. And they're very proud of that. And anyway, Mr. Hill, he said to me, he said, you know, a good surgeon uh, knows how to do a, a, a good operation. He said, a great surgeon knows when not to do an operation. I, I never forgot that. So this, this Mars 2 study, you know, we were having surgeons leave, leave that hole and, and call their officers and say, cancel the surgery. But Cheryl, where, where does this leave us with mesothelioma? Because if, if, if a big radical surgery is harmful and now a much more tolerable surgery actually still might be harmful, where, where is the hope for for treating mesothelioma going forward? You know, I I was in fact just at the Canadian Surgical Forum this morning in the thoracic surgery group where they were actually kind of discussing what do you do with mesothelioma and sort of the agreement was still that there is a selected role for surgery in mesothelioma depending sort of, you know, we talk about cherry picking people 
the patients or choosing the right, but I think it's just a function of choosing the right people that are going to most likely benefit from some kind of surgical inv- intervention being more limited and, and those types of things. So, so I think we're still trying to find our place there. And I think, Jonathan, I'm going to leave the rebuttal piece for what the concerns about the study were to you. But I think there's still options on, on clinical trial, right? There's still some trials looking at radiation and how do you integrate uh, immunotherapy? And then of course, you know, we in Canada implemented uh, Checkmate 743, I guess it was the beginning of last year, where patients have the option of getting ipilimumab and nivolumab for their mesothelioma management, uh, which has been shown to improve outcomes. So, you know, I think the needle is still shifting a little bit. We haven't really settled down to exactly where we need to be. But what I like is just, you know, this just brings an attention to a disease that generally has kind of not had a lot of excitement until the past five years or so. I, I guess, and Jonathan, maybe you can jump in here. Uh, I appreciate that UC Davis is not the big mesothelioma on the center. But, you know, for me, the hope comes from, firstly, I, I was really impressed by Dr. Lim when he, uh, Mr. Lim, I should say, Professor Lim, for standing up on behalf of the thoracic surgeons in the UK and saying, he said at the end, he said, you know, they had to thank the patients because over the years, if these results are true, patients have lost their lives by going through surgery for mesothelioma or going lost their lives by enrolling on that study in the hope that surgery was better and it, and it turned out it, it wasn't. So I, I, I was thought he was very humble and uh, impressive in the way he handled that. Um, the, the hope for me, I, I think, is kind of you touched on it a little bit there, Cheryl, is for, for the first time in, in a while, there are new drugs now for immunotherapy and in particular immunotherapy, ipilimumab, nivolumab combinations. Uh, just this summer, the Canadian-led study uh, with pembrolizumab and chemotherapy showed some some positive results, maybe not quite as much as we wanted. But J- Jonathan, uh, w- w- where would you say... Do you, do you see hope for the future in mesothelioma? Is it is it with immunotherapy? Could it be antibody drug conjugates or, or, or something else? Well, absolutely. And and I would just say that it was an ins- inspired presentation. And, and uh, just a gr- even though it was not the results we hoped for, it was a really important study. And I know I had mentioned previously some of the critiques that that some have brought up regarding the study. Um, anytime you do a study, you could find things to critique. But o- overall, the bottom line, it was not helpful. And at least I think it was 42 month survival. There was a 28% decrement in mortality. And, and for all those critiques, I don't see how you get from that to a positive study, taking into right. account those critiques. I just don't see how you get there. And so I do not think, based on this data, that pleurectomy decortication in that setting should be standard of care or should be done. I think immunotherapy, as mentioned, you know, there's there's great data now with nivolumab and ipilimumab in the metastatic setting, not where we want to be, but much better, particularly in the sarcomatoid and biphasic histologic subtypes. And so using that and taking that as well as some, you know, new potential therapeutics, for example, targeting, you know, BAP1 pathway, which is mutated. Uh-huh. 
sponsors are the I think if you're going to do a surgery for mesothelioma, it should be done on a clinical trial. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, for example, I highlight there's an alliance trial cooperative group led by Aaron Mansfield with nivolumab and ipilimumab, neoadjuvant, followed by proctomy decartication and sarcomatoid. That is a worthy clinical trial. You know, you know, surgery has not been integrated with immunotherapy. Patients could get long-term benefit from immunotherapy. There's evidence mm -hmm. for, you know, there's emerging evidence for local integrating local ablative therapy, whether it be right. you know, surgery, radiation, so forth. So, but but on a clinical trial moving forward. Yeah. That, that's my that's my take. Yeah, that's a good point. And of course, we're seeing the benefits of neoadjuvant or preoperative immunotherapy in uh, non-small cell lung cancer. So, so maybe, maybe that would be a place to go. I think, you know, I, I don't, this might sound a bit sycophantic to, to people with cancer or their, or their loved ones who listen to this podcast, but, you know, as a community of healthcare professionals, we, we are totally indebted to you as patients and family members who enroll on clinical trials. And of course, when you enroll or we, we help run research studies, we're all hoping for the next big result. We're hoping for the next antibody drug conjugate or the next new osimertinib that is going to, or the next immunotherapy that is going to help people to live longer and live better. But in some ways, it's, it's equally important to learn what we shouldn't be doing as to learn what the new thing is that we, we should be doing. And, and the MARS-2 study, I think, is a, is a really important example of why research is not really taking us a step forward in the way that we wanted it to, but it, it's it's helping us from from inadvertently going backwards. Yeah, so that's my little stump speech. Uh, Cheryl, let me let me come back to you for the for the final word on on uh, on mesothelioma. Any thoughts on on maybe surgery in Canada, or, or are there studies that you see happening, or or new new drugs, or well, there is. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, I think I agree with Jonathan, like surgery in, in this setting should be on clinical trial. They have the SMART test study now running out of Toronto. You know, I think that center of excellence piece and experience with this type of surgery is really critical. So in fact, I have sent patients to Toronto for consideration uh, of some of these treatments. And that study is looking at that pleurectomy decortication in the setting of including radiotherapy and immunotherapy. So looking at all the tools and how do you put them into play and, and to make them effective. So I think from a surgery perspective that, that we do need to think about, keep thinking about the questions and take the knowledge that we learn from every trial and apply it effectively. So I'm not sure how that may change what the, this design might look like. And I think it also is important for us as medical oncologists to keep trying to push that systemic envelope, right? Because, you know, it's it's just like lung cancer. Immunotherapy started in patients who had more advanced disease and then moved all the way up to the front in the setting before surgery. So can we do have those same kind of successes with mesothelioma? That's what I'm hoping for. Um, and so I think time time will tell and those studies are ongoing right now. Great. Well, listen, Dr. Reese, Dr. Ho, thank you both for your time that you've given me and the Lung Cancer Canada team for these uh, two great podcasts to, to look at World, the World Conference on Lung Cancer, from uh, Chili Crab to Formula One racing to the, the latest uh, ups and downs in the world of thoracic oncology. My thanks to both of you. 
And to those listening, please tune in for our next Lung Cancer Voices podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great to be a friend of the podcast. It's great to see you both. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like, and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer, or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.